Welcome. I'm Joshua. I'm the lead pastor here at Freshwater. So uh, if you're new with us, if you're a guest with us, we I just want you to know that we're ecstatic that you're here with us this morning on the Lord's Day. Um, I am the one that normally preaches um, on Sunday mornings, but uh, I've had a couple weeks off now as we've got some bright, young, Jesus-loving men that are coming up and feel called to proclaim the gospel. And um, today is one of those days. It's going to be a little bit different in that we're going to actually have two guys come up and uh, preach together and uh, deliver a message to you. So I'm excited about this, I'm encouraged about this, and um, I hope that you are as well. I'm going to read for us um, the scripture that immediately precedes the scripture that they're going to be preaching on this morning. If you've been here long, you know that we've been marching through the Gospel of John, haven't we? And it has been a, a wonderful thing for my soul just to be able to study this book, and I hope it has been for yours as well. Um, and we've made it now to the 18th chapter. We're almost to the end of the book. So one of the, the uh, great things is that we get to see how a book is really a book. It's not just a, an assortment of stories that come together loosely connected, but that it really is leading us toward a theme and toward a purpose. And um, so we made it to the 18th chapter. Amen. This is wonderful. And by the way, as we've mapped out the rest of the chapters, it looks like we're going to finish the Gospel of John right uh, at the end of the month, whenever we're at the end of uh, uh, the year, right when we're running into our Advent series. So um, right toward the end of November, we'll be finishing the Gospel of John, which is encouraging and kind of sad at the same time. You know, it's kind of like when you've raised your, I imagine raising your child and sending them off to college, and then you spend all that time with them, and you're like, man, I'm really glad to get them out of the house. But at the same time, I'm going to miss them, right? I'm really glad to, to make our way toward the end of the Gospel of John, but I'm really glad to, um, uh, to be done with it as well. So uh, let's look at John chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. If, this is, if you've got a pew Bible close to you, this is page 904. Verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers and the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Okay, good morning, Freshwater. My name's Nick Swoboda. I'm a partner here. Um, and if you're a guest with us today, I just want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, it's so good to have you spend the Lord's Day with us today. As Pastor Joshua said just a moment ago, we're going to do things a little different today. There's going to be two of us that are going to come up here and work our way through the Scripture. Uh, and really, that's for one primary reason. I'm just not really smart enough to do this by myself, so 
Brian's going to come up here, and he's going to uh, help me get through all of this. So uh, he'll be coming up in just a second to rescue me. But until we get to, uh, until he comes up here, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. You're probably already there, but we're going to be in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 18, and we're going to work our way through uh, verses 15 through 27 today. Again, if you're in a pew Bible, I know Pastor Joshua just said a second ago, that's uh, page 904. The main idea in our scripture today is actually found in verse 21. And I'm going to kind of get, I'm going to kind of do a bottom line up front thing here for you so we can get to that main idea as before we work our way through this study. Now, you've, you've probably all heard the story of Peter's denial. All four of the gospels record the incident, but John's gospel actually records it a little bit different than the other three do. John's, in John's gospel, he actually inserts Jesus' testimony to the high priest in the middle of Peter's denial. And, and that's very significant, and we'll get to why that's significant a little bit later. But right now, I'm going to read verse 21 so we can get to the main idea of our sermon. In verse 21, after the high priest asked Jesus what he's been telling everyone, Jesus says, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said. Now, just stop right there for a second. What does this tell us? Well, I I think without going any further, this tells us that Jesus expects his followers to witness and to testify to what he said. Would you agree? There's a trial going on here, and Jesus is calling his key witnesses to the stand. He didn't say, hey, leave my followers alone. He said, ask them what I said. They know the truth. You see, Jesus expects us, his followers, to witness and to testify to the truth. It sounds easy enough, right? Well, let me ask you something. Do you all remember the first time that you learned that lying or being deceptive could help you get what you wanted? We all have this unique way of stepping outside of who we really are or or misrepresenting what we do in order to achieve the results that we want, don't we? Just indulge me real quick in a quick story from my past. Uh, When I was growing up, my father would grow tomato plants, and he loved growing tomato plants. He beamed with pride when he could pick a nice tomato plant or tomato off the vine. The only problem is he had three roughhousing boys who liked to play outside, and to be honest with you, it was rare that his tomato plants ever made it through a planting season without being destroyed by one of of the boys. Uh, So I, I remember each year he would try to pick another strategic location in the yard or somewhere where he could grow his tomato plants, hoping they would survive. Uh, one year, my older brother, or excuse me, one year he planted the tomato plants on a deck in a planter where the flowers were planted. I guess he thought that was safe, but after a fist fight between my older brother and I, he actually picked me up and threw me into the tomato plants, destroying every single one of them. And my dad was irate. I mean, he was really, really mad. And not so much about the fight, he was mad about the tomato plants being destroyed. Uh, so the next year, uh, I was about 11 years old, and I was outside doing what every 11-year-old boy should be doing. I was doing yard work, okay? I was a little delinquent in my duties. The yard was, a, the, the grass was a little high. The weeds were coming up. And I was trying to make a game out of doing this yard work, and I was weed eating. And I was thinking, well, I don't just like weeding the perimeter. I like to take, because every 11-year-old boy likes to de- destroy things, right? So I, I'm, I'm looking out in the yard. I'm seeing these tall weeds, and I'd go out there, and I'd whack them down. Well, as I'm weed-eating, I look over towards uh, the above-ground pool, and there stands these tall weeds, glorious tall weeds. So I was like, great. I walked over there and started whacking them down. I was about halfway through when I recognized that uh, the, the markers were actually under the grass, 
And those were dad's tomato plants. So, I mean, I could have stopped right then, but I'm really not a quitter. So I went ahead and finished the job. When dad got home that night, he, he went outside and did his nightly inspection. And he came in, and he was mad. I mean, he was angry. And he came up to me. He's like, what happened to my tomato plants? And I said, you know, dad, I saw Wade Barkett, who was the neighbor kid. I saw him stomping around down there earlier. Oh, he got so mad, but immediately his aggression and his anger were refocused across the yard, over the fence, into the neighbor house, and I certainly avoided what was certain to be a very bad evening and a very bad next couple weeks. And we, we can laugh about that, and, and uh, it, it does seem like a funny story, an innocent little white lie, but what if I told you that because of that white lie, I learned that being deceptive was okay, that I learned that if I was cunning enough, I could get, well, just about anything I wanted. And I grew up, contrary to what I was being taught, learning how to be part of the world and not just in the world. Deception came easy to me, and I could be whatever I needed to be to get whatever suited me in the moment. Truth had worldly consequences, and deception Well, deception just simply had its advantages. In fact, my pride and my depravity had to hit rock bottom before I would look up and see a Savior in Jesus. And Jesus called me out of my depravity, out of deception, and into truth. And now I know that both deception and truth have eternal consequences. So before we go any further, we need to define what is truth. Well, we know from studying John's gospel here in the past that he wrote his gospel so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. And by believing, we would have eternal life. So the truth is this. Jesus Christ is God. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. He is the Messiah. And we, who are his followers, are bought with a price. And since we are his, he expects us to be his witnesses and to testify to the truth. We become, in essence, truth bearers. The expectation is the same for every follower of Jesus. Now, today we're going to consider a story that involves the Apostle Peter, and we're going to see how Peter struggles with specific obstacles which keep him from witnessing to truth. In the past six or seven weeks, we've been studying the farewell discourse. And the farewell discourse is essentially a message or a lecture where Jesus is giving his disciples a summary of what he has taught them in the past, what the the true nature of God is, and he's preparing them for his impending departure from the world. Now, I bring this up because I want to ask you if you remember the event that occurred, and and many people would say kicked off the farewell discourse. If you go back to John 13, we see that Jesus begins his exhortation after he tells his followers that one of them would betray him. So flip back to John 13 with me real quick. Now, Jesus was breaking bread with his disciples when he said, one of you will betray me. The disciples obviously wanted to know which one Jesus was talking about, right? So what happened next? Jesus says, it is he who I give this morsel of bread to. And after dipping it, Jesus gave the morsel of bread to Judas Iscariot. Now pick up with me in verse 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you you are going to do, do quickly. So 
So Jesus sends Judas away. Now it's obvious to us now what's happening. Jesus was sending Satan and his servant Judas away before he begins teaching about the nature of God. So we have perhaps the most important message that Jesus ever gave, and he didn't want Satan around to hear it. Imagine that. Next, we see Jesus immediately starts to teach a new commandment to his disciples, a commandment to love one another. And while he's teaching this commandment, he tells his disciples that he's going away. And Peter, who's often the de facto spokesperson for the disciples, he speaks up and asks Jesus, hey, wait, where are you going? So let's look at verses 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So most of us recognize this as the foretelling for Jesus, for the story today, where Jesus is foretelling that Peter will deny him, right? But I want you to see something else and keep it in mind as we work our way through the text. Jesus telling Peter that he will deny him is coming right on the heels of Jesus telling Judas that he will betray him. So what's the difference? Wasn't Peter's denial also a betrayal? Yet we know Peter becomes one of Jesus Christ's greatest witnesses to all the world. And Judas, Judas finds the end of a rope and hangs himself in sorrow. So what's the difference? Well, notice what you don't see. You don't see Jesus sending Peter away after he tells him about his impending betrayal. So what we're seeing here is an amazing act of grace or unmerited favor. Peter doesn't deserve forgiveness or restoration. He deserves to be sent away like Judas was sent away. But instead, Jesus keeps him. So we have two prophecies here in John 13. We have with two very different end results, right? And what I want you to see is this. The battle lines are being drawn here. There are two sides pitted against one another. One side, Jesus' side, is the side that champions truth. The other side, Satan's side, champions deception. Two kingdoms in conflict. Now we're all working for one side or the other. There is no in-between. Either you're advancing the cause of truth or you're advancing the cause of deception. And we who are bought with a price, with the blood of Jesus, are called to witness to the world and to testify to the truth because we've heard and received his word, which is truth. And we're going to learn today that Jesus expects us to witness and testify in truth. And while we like to think our hearts are predisposed to truth, we can often find that we're deceived by the kingdom of deception. Peter says in John 13, verse 37, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And we too, standing among our fellow sheep here, surrounded by our fellow Christians, find it easy to say, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. But when we're surrounded by wolves and the champions of this world, we can be deceived. And we can stumble over the obstacles that are born of our sinful nature. So we're going to see that is exactly what's happening to Peter this week. We're going to see, despite that, Jesus expects us to witness and to testify to truth. 
And furthermore, we're going to identify three obstacles to meeting Jesus' expectations. And Peter models these three obstacles for us in our story today. The three obstacles are first, worldly desire. Second, fear of persecution. And third, a failure to repent. Now, before you get rocking through our story, let me just remind you where we're at in our timeline leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. We just talked about how Jesus had given the farewell discourse to his disciples. After that, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed there with his disciples. And then Judas and the high priest's soldiers came forward to arrest Jesus. Peter draws his sword, chops off the ear of one of the servants. Jesus rebukes him, tells him, put away his sword, and he willingly goes bound with the soldiers to be questioned by the high priest. At this point, Peter and John follow behind him. Now let's go to the scripture in John 18. I'm going to read from verse 15 through 18, immediately after Brian's going to join me on stage. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus to the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was, not, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. So the first obstruction we're going to discuss today is worldly desires. Before we get tracking through that, I want you to notice what's going on here. When when the Apostle John talks about another disciple, he's talking about himself. Okay, so notice when John says he was known to the high priest, this other disciple was known to the high priest, he's actually talking about himself. Now, I always thought when I read this before that John was talking about uh, having some type of merit with the high priest, like he had a relationship with the high priest before, and so he knew who he was, so maybe he would be some value in testifying for Jesus. But I don't think that's what what he's saying at all. After studying this with Brian, we kind of came to the conclusion that that Apostle John was actually saying that he was a known disciple of Jesus and that the high priest knew that about him. And that's why he went in with Jesus. And if that's the case, then we can deduce the reason that Peter did not go in was because he was not recognized as a disciple of Jesus. And why is this important? Well, it sets up the story for us here. Peter thinks that he can blend in with the world. And we're going to see that's exactly what he wants to do in this moment. So, Brian, just get us started off here and tell us what, what's so significant about the servant girl in this story. Yeah, in verses 15 through 18, you see the servant girl is the one asking the question. This is a representation of her representing the high priest, which represents the kingdom of darkness, and which is pinnacle to the Jewish culture. And you see these two, um, the, the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of darkness, and they're coming to a clash together when she asks Peter these questions. Yeah, exactly. And Satan <clears throat> rules this kingdom of deception, mm-hmm. and he tries to draw all the people into his kingdom of deception, doesn't he? Even his servants are deceived. But we're going to see that Jesus expects us to witness in truth. So, Brian, in verse 17, we see Peter denies following Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why do you think he does that? Well, you have to think back to Peter's first call by Jesus. See, he was called off of a fisher boat. Jesus came up to him and said, follow me. But before that, Peter was a Jew, meaning that his identity was found in being a Jew. 
Everything he knew was being a Jew. So when Jesus said, come, follow me, he left everything he knew before then to follow Jesus. And now you see that Peter coming, or you see Jesus is being taken away. Peter coming to him, coming to the, or coming to the trial, Jesus is not with him, and you find him going back into the world. You see that culture has a foothold on Peter. So Peter's being tempted to essentially regress back into the culture that he knew formerly before Christ, right? We've all been there, I think. We can all say that we've struggled with that at some point in our life. So Brian, can you tell me maybe a personal uh, story where maybe you struggled with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, about two years ago, my family and I, we picked up and we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I felt called into seminary. On our way back... Uh, from seminary, we were there for almost two years. On our way back, I got the job that I had before I left. And you would think, as a person that just got back from seminary, I probably learned more about God in seminary than I did the whole time of being a Christian. But the company I worked for placed me in Arkansas. And being away from Christians and being away from community is really hard on your life as a Christian. And I found myself conforming to the world instead of transforming the world for Jesus. Like Peter, I felt like I had one foot on both sides of the fence. You know, before I left II to go to seminary, I struggled with people not knowing that if I was, or that not recognizing I was a Christian. And the fruits of my labor just didn't see, you just didn't see much fruit from that until I left. I had more gospel conversations the last week that I left II than I did the whole time that I was there. Do we see a picture of that in the story today, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I think we really do. See, the thing is about being a Christian is we can't really, we can't really deny who we really are. We may try, but we can't. And, we're, and we see that in the story today where uh, Peter's outside, and he's trying to blend in with the culture, and yet this servant girl calls him out. How does she know that he's a follower of Jesus? Right. She actually recognizes him because John comes out for Peter. And remember, John is a known disciple of Jesus. We see that in the text. John comes out for Peter, speaks to the servant girl, and the servant girl makes a correlation, showing us that we can't deny who we really are, even if we try. So she, of course, goes up and asks Peter, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus too? So, so how does Peter react to getting questioned, Brian? Yeah, he denies Jesus. He is, he's chosen his culture over standing up and testifying to the truth. And if you were just to read this passage, you would not see it. You would really miss this. So look at with me at verse 18. He says that now the servant of the officer had, had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now at first glance, you might not see this, because the, the movie of the Passion of the Christ, that real popular movie, you see Jesus running away denying him. You don't see him actively, or I'm sorry, Peter running away den denying him. You don't actively see him den uh, sitting in, in the culture, warming himself with the culture, being like the culture. And I think that's one of the significant points of the story. Yeah, P Peter's worldly desires are to blend in with the culture, right? Just like Brian was tempted whenever he went back to work to essentially go back to his old self, that's a sin that we all struggle with. And, and right now, you've got to remember where we're at in our story, right? Peter does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling. 
But that doesn't mean that we don't have these same temptations when we have the Holy Spirit indwelling. Actually, we see that this is a sin that Peter struggled with later on as well. In Galatians 2, we actually notice that the Apostle Paul has to oppose Peter because he is too consumed with the Jewish culture. So while we know that at this time in our story that Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling, didn't have the strength that the Holy Spirit gives him, later on he does, and he's still tempted by that same sin. So what that tells us is these are ongoing struggles that we all have, mm-hmm. okay? We're all tempted to return to the identities that we had in our lives before we had our identity in Christ. So let me ask you guys something. What are your worldly desires? Is your identity wrapped up in work or in some title? Are are you consumed with your status on social media? Are you living a double life? If you are, then you, like Peter, are subject to denying Jesus, either actively or passively, and you're not witnessing and testifying in truth. So what can you do? Well, it's simple, actually. If you feel like this is going on in your life and you feel conviction right now from the Holy Spirit, then repent right where you're at. Repent. Turn away from that sin and ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart so that your identity can be fixed firmly in Jesus Christ. Okay, so now we've talked about worldly desires, okay, as an obstacle to meeting Jesus' expectations. Now we're going to talk about the second obstacle, and the second obstacle is a fear of persecution. Look with me now at verse 19. I will read from 19 through 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said... When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hands, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if, I said, but if what I said was right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Nick, throughout this text, we see in the last, the last passage that the servant girl was a representation of the kingdom of darkness. Where in verses 29, or 19 through 24 do we see this representation? Yeah, so Jesus is being questioned by Annas, who's a representative of the high priest, right? The high priest is, a symbolic, uh, is symbolic of the pharisaical law, which Jesus opposed because it, much of it was interpreted to ultimately glorify the so-called righteous people of the day rather than to glorify God. And Jesus' kingdom is all about glorifying God. So right. we see a stark contrast here between truth and deception. Now, Jesus is on the side of truth. The high priest and his servants are deceived, and they're being led by the prince of the power of air. Yeah, in the middle of this discourse, we see, like you mentioned earlier, that the high priestly question is sandwiched right in the middle of the denials of Peter. This is not like this in the other synoptic gospels. Why why is this significant? Yeah, so this is what I was talking about earlier. This is really cool. It's really significant. It's something that we had considered when we were studying this. I think John is trying to contrast witnessing or testifying in truth to witnessing or testifying in deception here. 
at the exact same time that Jesus is telling the high priest that he should ask his followers what he said, Peter, his follower, is outside denying that he follows Jesus. Peter is denying truth. And immediately we see Jesus is persecuted for telling the truth when he's smacked or punched by the high priest's servants. But yet, Peter goes untouched, and the world accepts Peter's deception. So Peter knows that there are ramifications for telling the truth. And he chooses not to tell the truth, to avoid persecution. He's afraid. He fears persecution. Now look, the truth is, we're probably not going to see persecution, I hope not, like we see in this story. You're probably not going to stand in front of the high court of uh, the United States, the Supreme Court, and have to testify for your life or for the life or for the credibility of Jesus Christ. So, Brian, tell me, what kind of persecution can somebody in our culture expect today? Right. Before I can answer the question, we have to realize that when we are going as, as gospel believers to witness to people that we are of the kingdom of Jesus and the people that we're sharing the gospel with are of the kingdom of darkness. Now, this is significant because we often think as Christians that the kingdom of darkness is this abstract idea that's far out there that we can't see and we can't touch. But it's actually people that do not believe in Jesus. You know, truth is the only thing that will impact the kingdom of darkness. When we bring, and that's what we see here in this message, Jesus says in John 8.44, talking to the Pharisees, he says, you are of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. Which one convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus recognizes that one of the problems with speaking to the Pharisees is that they are controlled by their father of darkness and that they believe a lie. And how does Jesus combat that? He tells them to go to truth. If you look at John 8.32, it says that, uh, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 14.6, for I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The way that we combat the kingdom of darkness is taking them to truth. Now, where does persecution come in on this? This is where it comes in, is that not everyone is going to believe. Not everyone is going to just accept the message that Jesus preached. And that might mean that you're going to be made fun of, or you might lose a friend, or maybe that job promotion that you're looking for. If you take the gospel to your boss, maybe you won't get it. That's what persecution looks like. And if you go back with me in verse 23, this is where Jesus stands on truth. Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what if, I said, but if what I said is right... Why do you strike me? Yeah, so right here we see that Jesus has given the world the opportunity to witness in truth. But the world can't because there's no truth in the world, right? Look, some of you may know what it's like to be persecuted. But, but I'd be willing to bet for the most of us in here in the United States that we just don't. Mm-hmm. You know, the key in this story is to understand that persecution is possible and that it, it is coming. And there are varying degrees of persecution. We must prepare for it. 
If we're speaking truth in the world to bring people out of deception, the world will rebel because the world hates truth. Amen. Okay? This, is, this brings up a whole other contrast. The world says safety is the most important virtue that we humans should strive for. Maslow even codified this logic in his hierarchy of needs, if you know what I'm talking about. But the gospel inherently is not safe. It's not. And we, the followers of Jesus, should not fear anything the world sends our way, whether that's physical death or, or simple gossip. That includes simply having others change their perspective of you. So let me ask you something. Have you ever avoided sharing the gospel, the truth of the gospel, because you feared that someone would avoid you in the future? Or that maybe you would lose a friend? I mean, we live in a culture now where we value friendships over our friends. We value the idea of having friends over loving people. If we loved them, we would want them to know the truth. Mm -hmm. We would witness and testify to the truth. So is that you? Are you avoiding persecution? Are you avoiding losing friends? Are you avoiding difficult conversation, forsaking the gospel? If that's you, then I'm going to ask you to sit right where you're at and repent. Turn from your ways and ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart and give you boldness to face persecution. All right, so now we've talked a little bit about the second obstacle to meeting Jesus' expectation. We've, now let's discuss the third obstacle. The third obstacle is a failure to repent. Read with me in verses 25 through 27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Nick, again we see a correlation between the high priest and the questioner. Why is this significant? Again, we see the power of the prince of the power of air at work here trying to bring Peter into deception. But the, the Apostle John lets us know that the final question was actually asked by somebody who kind of knew Peter in some way because Peter had cut off the guy's relative's ear, right? The servant was in the garden when Peter courageously defended Jesus, however misguided his actions were. But this is important, okay? This contrast is meant to show us that, the, that God gave Peter the opportunity to repent by recognizing his own heart at the time of his courageous activity in the garden. Now imagine this for a second with me. Okay? The man asking the question actually references the garden of Gethsemane. So Peter had to, he had to think about his heart and his heart condition at the time that he was in the garden when he was defending Jesus with his life. Now this isn't the only time we see this in the, in the, in the, uh, in the Bible. The Apostle Paul tells us later in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians that we will never be tempted by our own abilities to resist. So Peter had the opportunity to repent here, but he was too caught up in the moment. And we see that he not only denies Jesus once more, but he denies him twice more, showing us how hard his heart really was. So I'm going to ask you all in here, is this your moment? Is God using this moment to help you recognize 
your lack of repentance? Have you denied Jesus by your actions? Maybe it, it isn't as overt as what Peter we see with Peter here. Maybe you simply are not living the life you should be living outside the four walls of your home. Hmm. Well, you have a choice to make here. Repent or not repent. Peter was deceived, and he chose to continue in sin. We often think that repentance is, is a bad thing. Our culture paints repentance as a bad thing. But actually, it's a good thing. Repentance is something God grants us to be sanctified, to be drawn closer to Him, to live in a holy lifestyle. Now, if you're in here today and you have felt a conviction through the reading of this text by not being a witness or, not, or being worldly or fear of persecution or failure to repent, let me talk to you about sorrow. Sorrow is something you feel before, before repentance comes about. But there's two types of sorrow that the Bible presents, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is something like this, that you're in here today, that you feel convicted about what you're doing is not right, but as soon as you walk out the walls, all else fails. You, you, there's no more sorrow, there's no more conviction of sin, there's no repentance in there. That is worldly sorrow, and it leads to death. Godly sorrow is the opposite, that you feel what you're doing in here today, or through the reading of this text, is, brings conviction. And conviction leads to repentance, and repentance leads to being changed. You know, one thing that we see in here is that uh, John indicates to us is that the, is that the rooster crows. And this is, this is different than, this, than the other three Gospels because the other three Gospels after that say that Jesus or Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now that's significant because we see that Peter was drawn to repentance. Nick, now there might be people out here thinking about repentance. How do we know that God will restore them? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm going to go ahead and summarize and sum things up for us uh, as I answer this final question. Uh, what I'd like for you to do is think about uh, when we started out, I was talking about contrasting Peter and Judas. Now, both Peter and Judas betrayed Jesus. So we asked what the difference between the two were. Peter deserves to be cast off just like Judas does. But when we flip back just a couple more chapters back, we see in John 21, I won't ask you to go back there just now, but we see in John 21 that after Jesus is resurrected, he has a conversation with Peter, okay? And he asks Peter three questions, and every question was the same. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He asked him three times. Peter denied him three times. Jesus asked him three times, recommissioning him to do his work in the world. Now, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? Peter loves Jesus. And Judas loved himself. And we see that Peter's love keeps him there with Jesus. Okay, and then we see further that Jesus brings about his promise and sends the Holy Spirit on Peter. If you flip back just a few more chapters in Acts, we see that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and it consumes Peter. And he goes out and preaches a sermon and 3,000 people are converted. 
3,000 people are converted. And then we go back to Acts 4, and this is amazing because Peter stands before the same council that's convicting Jesus, the very same council where Peter was standing outside and denying Jesus. He stands in front of them and says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, don't ever think that you're too far gone. By the power of God, Peter overcame the obstacles that once afflicted him. When he was restored, he witnessed and testified the truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And you can be an overcomer too. Not by your power and might, but by the power and might of Jesus Christ. Now you may be asking me, okay, Nick, you got me. How's this work? Well, let me... Let me just tell you what we believe. We believe sin entered the world through the first man when the first man chose for his identity to be defined in something else other than truth. The first man was deceived. And since that sin, we've all been deceived. And we've all fallen short. And the Bible tells us that the penalty for sin, any sin, is death. We're all fallen people who require a Savior to be returned to truth. So God sent Jesus, his only son, to the world to teach us to live the perfect life that we can and to ultimately be a sacrifice for our sins. After Jesus taught his followers truth, he willingly submitted to be crucified on a cross and accepted the punishment for your sin and my sin. And when you deny yourself and you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And God looks at you through the righteousness that Jesus deserves. And you're set free from a world of bondage and deception. Those of us who've been called up in Christ, who've been set free, we have a responsibility to witness and testify in truth. We stand in stark contrast to the deception of the world. Now, if you feel the Holy Spirit convicting your heart today, maybe you're not following Jesus or maybe you're following Jesus, but you just don't feel like you're following bold enough, then I just invite you to respond in one of three ways. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. And when we sing a song, Brian and I are going to stand right outside in the foyer through that doorway. And I just invite you to come back and have a conversation with us. We'll pray for you if that's what you want. And we can just talk about what it means to follow Jesus or what it means to be a little bit more bold and following Jesus. And second, when you came in, you received a worship guide. Inside that worship guide is a connect card. You can fill that out. There's a spot up there. You can check the box that says you want to follow Jesus, and on your way out, you can drop that in the connect, off at the connect table in the box there, and someone's going to get in contact with you this week. And finally, the third way is Brian and I stand at the door on our way out. Uh, you can grab us up there. And have a conversation with us that time. We'd love to talk with you. So Brian's going to pray for us, and he's going to wrap things up. So if you bow your heads with us. Father, thank you that you give us life and breath, and that you made such a thing as truth that we could believe and recognize that you are Lord. Lord, I pray that we would take this message to the world, that, we, that you would give us boldness, just like you restored Peter in Acts chapter 4, and you see thousands led to truth. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.